Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whatever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And when I speak these words, we will officially be one month away from the 2021 NFL Draft. And like I said, we here at Sports Crunch are coming at you full speed ahead like a freight train with non-stop draft coverage until your favorite team is on the clock come April 29th. And today, we continue with our fifth of eight position-by-position breakdowns of this very, very deep draft class. The linebacker position is our topic du jour, and to help us break down this talented 2021 linebacker crop is our good friend, Bill Carroll of Nuts and Bolts Sports. Bill, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? It is a pleasure. Uh, I've had the pleasure a few years ago. I guess the first time was maybe 2013, maybe. So we've been doing this for a while off and on. Uh, so, yes, it is an interesting class because the way the NFL has changed and college football has changed as you know along with it, we now see players that would not have been linebackers, frankly, a few years ago, lining up at linebacker. So there's guys who are essentially really just big safeties who we're evaluating as linebackers. And there's guys who are just stand-up, very fast defensive ends, really, that we're evaluating as linebackers. And then there's some true linebackers, guys who would have been linebackers 30, 40 years ago. They're also sort of thrown into the same mix. So it's like, you know, getting a, a bag of granola. There's, you know, bits of little cereals. There's bits of fruit. There's bits of nuts all mixed in. Absolutely. And we'll get to that in terms of a specific prospect in just a little bit. But let's start off with the breaking news of the day, which was the Penn State Pro Day. Yes. And the consensus number one linebacker in this draft, Micah Parsons, blew the roof off the facility with his freakish athleticism, most notably his sub 4440. But as you know more than anyone else, the tape matters far, far more than a pro day for any prospect. And based on the tape alone, why is Micah Parsons the best linebacker in this draft class? Well, one, and this is where I guess I'm an outlier. I'm not certain he is. Uh, but I guess that's, that, that's we'll get into that later. I think he is a very promising and exciting prospect, but he's very raw. He runs himself out of as many plays as he runs himself into. And some people, I guess, for, are for more forgiving of that than others. I, he doesn't always take great angles. His instincts aren't the best. But he is a terrific athlete, a special athlete. Like, that's very clear. And though I don't buy the times, I mean, he's still a mid-4-4s to upper-4-4s kind of athlete. But with this, you know, it's just different. It's because it's a pro day, because you're not being timed in the same situation, in the same setup as you would be at an actual combine. We're seeing a lot of really fast times that I frankly don't buy. But he's still a freak athlete. Like, that's not to take anything away from what he is athletically. But... He's closer to a guy like Thomas Howard. I don't know if you remember Thomas Howard from UTEP. Uh, than he is to a guy like Luke Keekley. And so you have to know that when you're getting him, that he's going to need more work than a guy who's more polished and more finished. Oh, very, very interesting take there, Bill. And I can easily respect that opinion. I love it when uh, people like you uh, go against the grain and the group think that dominates way too many draft circles these days. But uh, Parsons, despite his talents, as you said, and his weaknesses on the field, he is, to put it mildly, a headache off the field. As my good friend Eric Trickle of MileHighHuddle.com noted earlier today, Reuben Foster was considered a top 10 prospect in 2017, and character concerns nearly caused him to fall out of the first round altogether. And the red flags on Parsons are even worse. How far do you see Michael Parsons falling as a result of these off-field red flags? Well, he won't. I mean, not that much. I mean... It's not quite comparable, and I understand people sort of drawing that comparison. The things with Parsons, he's 
people have to make the distinction between somebody who's a who's a bad individual and someone who's an individual who's maybe done a bad thing or or thought a bad thing or said a bad thing. I think he's somewhat immature, and I think he will grow and is growing into being a, a very good teammate and citizen. I, I'm not as concerned. The Reuben Foster stuff, and I, you know, if you've done your research, you know there was stuff on him going literally back to 15, 16 years of age. So that was a very long and established pattern with him. This is, in my mind, not comparable. My issues with Parsons are not that. Uh, like I said, I've seen him. He's the kind of guy that, as the term they use, is takes the cheese, right? He's a cheese taker. Uh, if you if you show him something, he he might have, he he has a very good chance of biting on the thing you show. Now he's a good enough athlete that he can run his way back in after making a mistake, and I've seen him do that. I've seen him, you know, bite on some of those things where, especially on, you know, we we see so much, uh, you know, the the read option stuff. He's a good enough athlete to to bite and then work his way back into the play. But when NFL quarterbacks who get the ball out faster, right, and when there's you know Travis Kelsey's of the world taking little little passes, five and six yard receptions, and busting them into big plays. That half step, that wrong little step, it's not as easy to recover from it at the next level. So like I said, do I think he'll be a very good player? Yes. I'm not here telling you he won't be good. I'm saying if you're thinking he's a quote-unquote generational, which is a term that I think has been cheapened now, but people use terms like generational, I don't think you're getting that. I think you're getting, like I said, a guy who's closer, like I said, to Thomas Howard, this freakish raw athlete who has so much potential, but he's just not ready to be a true star at the linebacker position right out of the box because of the mental stuff. He's not, he hasn't played that much football and there's so much, he's very, he's so eager. He's so excited about showing off, you know, getting into the play and sh that he just doesn't read all of his keys carefully enough for, m for my taste. Uh, yes, but uh, considering his uh, character red flags, you still don't see him dropping that far. You could still see him landing, no. say, um, mid middle of round one at the latest. I, I think the, I think the, I mean, I think the range on him is like 8 to 16. Uh, I think that a guy like, I mean, Jerry Jones is unafraid, right? There's lots of guys who are unafraid of taking chances on guys who may have the occasional, I mean, Michael Irvin wasn't exactly a choir boy at Miami. I don't know if, you, if you've heard, David. I mean, there's guys in the league who had an interesting life. I mean, Von Miller, and I love Von Miller, but he was – well-known for enjoying his life in college, and I'll leave it at that. So, yes, there are guys in the league who've been very successful who weren't exactly, like, they weren't just going to prayer meetings and, and you know, leading scout troops. Definitely, and as you alluded to at the beginning of the program, an increasing trend in the NFL these days is that of the so-called positionless defender. Last year, we had Isaiah Simmons, who was listed as a linebacker, even though he could also be a safety, a part-time edge rusher, and a part-time boundary corner even. Yep. This year, Notre Dame's Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa is another such prospect. He may yep. be universally listed as a linebacker, but many, including you, don't see him that way. What is his I, best I role in the NFL, and how high will he get drafted because of his versatility? Sure. I evaluated him as a safety. Now, just like with, we're seeing with guys like Mark Barron and Deion Buchanan and a long list of others, he probably will be playing a fair amount of linebacker. But he's also be asked to do safety things. And first of all, let me just give a quick, quick shout-out to Bethel High School. Uh, gave us, in addition to Mr. Uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromo, also gave us a terrific two-sport athlete that I watched in my days living in Virginia, uh, Allen Iverson. So, 757 football, stand up. But he's a he, – he, if he's a linebacker, then – 
why isn't Holona Tafunga at USC, who's essentially the same player, right? So we're so if we're going to call every box safety who can play linebacker a linebacker, then yeah, sure, he's a linebacker. Uh, and like I said, he's asked to do some linebacker things in their system. The term really that's more accurate is like spur, right? Or the term we used to use back in the old days was monster, right? The old monster man. But yeah, he's that's what he is. He's a spur. And we've seen guys, you know, and some of them have had success and some of them have struggled. It comes down to where they go, the system they're in, and then, frankly, you know, I mentioned earlier, I sort of joked about this, you know, if if there's a screenplay and Quentin Nelson sizes him up, you know, he better be able to, like, you know, the vision does in Marvel Comics, just let him pass through. <laughs> because if Quentin Nelson, you know, hits him full go, you know, they'll be he'll be picking up his, you know, his clothing and his <laughs> uniform and his, like, he'll be exploded. I mean, it, that's the only thing that worries me is that when you're talking about getting these 211, 212, 216, 217 pound players and saying you're a linebacker, you need to be very careful in the way you use them. And uh, the best way to use uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo in the NFL is as a box safety, correct? Well, I mean, a hybrid. I mean, that's what he really is. He's a hybrid. So that means that he's going to even be a slot guy at times. Uh, like when somebody goes to a two tight end set and they put one of their tight ends in the slot, he's going to go get that other tight end. And we just saw, uh, you know, of course, Bill Belichick loves tight ends. He's just started collecting tight ends again. Uh, so you're playing, let's say you're playing the Patriots. You're saying, hey, you know, go get Juno Smith, right? That's your guy. Uh, so you'll see him uh, supporting the run a lot. Like he'll, he'll come down into the box and be that extra sort of middle player. So he's even sometimes playing below the linebacker level, like a hang guy, right? And just a little bit behind your D-line. So you're going to move him around. Or that was what I would recommend. You're going to move him around. So he's going to play sometimes as a slot. He's going to be sometimes lined up as an outside linebacker, sometimes lined up as inside linebackers. And once again, if it were up to me, he'd be in my three safety sets, in my big nickel, he'd be one of my three safeties. Uh, yes, and given that versatility, would you be surprised if he goes top 15 in the draft? It's not out of the question. I've been mocking him to the to the Dolphins for a few reasons. Uh, I think that the Dolphins, obviously not their first pick, but their second pick, uh, for a few reasons. One is Brian Flores will know how to use him. Right? Not everybody will know what to do with him. Brian, Brian Flores will. And so he's a really good fit for what they can use. And he is a playmaker. You, he can't do everything. Like I said, I, I don't like his chances in certain situations. Uh, but as long as you're protecting him, you have to try to keep him clean. But if you can give him a chance to flow uh, you know, to different parts of the field, use him in coverage in certain situations, though he's not amazing in coverage. It's like, like, I suppose, like, like I say, he's not like one of those, he's not Ed Reed. You know what I mean? Like he's not <laughs> those guys who's, who's going to be able to play in the deep middle. Like he doesn't have that. Or at least he hasn't shown he has that. So I like him being moved around different parts of the field, but particularly where he's, like I said, in space, where he can, you can blitz him, uh, he's going to cover you know, some of your larger wide receivers, your big slots, your tight ends who are detached, and like I said, I think he'll stand out if, if you use him correctly. If not, he gets knocked around and he'll have trouble staying healthy. 
Oh, thank you for that amazing in-depth analysis on uh, how, how Jeremiah Wusukoromoa should be used in the National Football League bill. And now let's move on to another outstanding linebacker prospect of this class, and that is Zavid Collins out of Tulsa. And Collins, he may be 260 pounds, but he moves around much quicker for someone his size. He is ski versatile, and he is the ultimate playmaker as he recorded four interceptions, two touchdowns, one safety, and one forced fumble this year alone. Would you be surprised if Zayvon Collins set it up as the best linebacker from this class in the long run? No, I would not. Uh, he's he's a big favorite of mine, and I, I compared him to Brian Urlacher, and I don't do that. I don't do that lightly. I'm not one of the people that goes for like the maximum comparison. Now it comes down once again. <coughs> excuse me, just this. Though. I think. <coughs> excuse me. I think if you just park him at will linebacker, you're not going to get the best out of him. Look at what was done with Erlacher, who was a, you know, a Lobo backer, right? A hybrid in college. When he gets to the NFL, they start running the Tampa 2, or they're running already the Tampa 2. And so he's basically Derek Brooks. He's running the deep middle. He's making the defensive calls. He's great uh, in, 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 as a blitzer and obviously also very good against the run. I think Zayvon Collins could do all of those things. If he goes to a team that does run Tampa 2, he can do a lot of the same things a guy, guy like Urlacher did. If you use him differently, if you're playing him at Sam, if you're playing him at Will, or if he's a 3-4 inside linebacker, I don't know if you get the same thing out of him. So, once again, for all these guys, obviously scheme will be very important, but for a guy like Zayvon Collins, I think it's incredibly important. If used correctly, he could easily be, in my mind, the best of all the linebackers. Uh, yes, and what scheme do you think suits him the best, even though he is scheme versatile? Yeah, well, I, 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 once again, I believe Tampa 2, playing the, the mic, playing middle. I, he really could do the things that Brian Urlacher did. He has that kind of ability. Oh, very interesting and lofty comparison there to a Hall of Famer, Brian Urlacher. And uh, the University of Kentucky has sent two solid backers to the NFL in recent years, Wesley Woodyard and Danny Trevathan. And this year, Jamin Davis, he hopes to add to that lineage. Davis has astronomically risen up draft boards throughout this process. 2020 was his only year as a starter, yet he absolutely broke out, totaling 102 tackles, four tackles for loss, one and a half sacks, Three INTs, one for a touchdown, and another that set up the game-clinching touchdown for the University of Kentucky Wildcats in the Gator Bowl. How does Jamie Davis compare to Woodyard and Trevathan as prospects, and do you think he'll be an even better pro than both? No, but I see him, because those guys are just more athletic, frankly. He's closer to a guy like Avery Williamson. Uh, maybe in this draft, closer to a guy like Derek Barnes, but I think he's going to have a very solid career. I think he's a guy who's going to go somewhere in the higher part of the, the top of the middle rounds. You know, we're talking more like third, fourth, uh, maybe even a little lower. But he's somewhere in that, in that middle, in those middle round areas. And I think he's a guy that may not start initially, but I think will be a starter fairly soon. Uh, but he just doesn't have, I don't think, enough just raw physical ability to be a superstar. Now, some guys manage to overcome, you know, athletic limitations and and play, you know, above what you think just their physical ability might might dictate. But more often than not, especially in today's NFL, where linebackers, have, if they want to play all three downs, have to be able to cover, you are going to need to be a slightly better athlete than you were you know, 30, 40 years ago. You know, LeVon Kirkland couldn't play linebacker in today's NFL. 
Oh, absolutely. LeVon Kirkland is the ultimate dinosaur, as they say. And another prospect that has shot up draft boards due to a breakout 2020 campaign is LSU's Jabril Cox. And Cox spent the first three years of his college career at North Dakota State with uh, somebody named Trey Lance before transferring to LSU this past year. And he did very, very well down at Baton Rouge, posting 58 tackles, six and a half of them for loss. Five pass breakups and three interceptions, one of which was returned for a touchdown. And uh, Dave Brugler of The Athletic said that the main issue with him is his run defense. He's uh, a liability in run defense, but do you think his abilities and coverage make him warrant a higher selection given that the NFL is the ultimate pass-happy league now? Yeah, so the exact opposite of the concerns I just expressed on the last linebacker, uh, he's a guy that will, at his best in coverage, in fact, he doesn't always hold up in the run game. He struggles when he's blocked. He has since he's stay blocked. Like everyone gets blocked, but you don't want guys to stay blocked. You want them to fight their way off and, and sometimes even, you know, collide with a blocker and, and toss them into the way of the, you know, the ball carrier. That's not his forte. Uh, stacking and shedding is not something where he excels, quite frankly. <clears throat> he's another guy that really needs to be in space to be at his best. He's a guy that I... Re- once again, I'll go back to some Denver guys. Remember that string of Will linebackers they had with guys like Mobley and Gold oh, and yeah. um, um, uh, Cato June? He's yeah. in that kind of mold. He's going to play in the high 220s, the low 230s. He's, I think, just a shade under 6'2", maybe 6'1", and three quarters, something like that. Runs well. Uh, you know, not a weakling. I don't want to make it sound like, but he's not a powerhouse either. You know, he's not a guy who's about to throw around guards for a living. That's not his... That's not, that's not how he's going to make his living. But in today's NFL, once again, he's a guy who would have been looked down upon not that many years ago, maybe 20, 25 years ago. Now you're talking about a guy that people will, I won't say they'll overlook his struggles in the run game, but they'll be more forgiving than they would have been because he does really move well and he can cover. And now it's time to play one of our favorite games on this program, and it is called Buy or Sell. And in this game, I'm going to uh, mention the name of a prospect that we haven't mentioned yet, and uh, you tell us whether you buy or sell his long-term prospects in the NFL, starting with Nick Bolton of Missouri. Do you buy or sell Nick Bolton? I buy. Um, I'm not quite as high as some people are, but I, I think he's going to be a successful NFL starter for 10 years, maybe more. And uh, why do you buy Nick Bolton? Some of the things that we've been saying about a lot of the smaller linebackers, kind of a theme, right? But he, once again, athletic, moves on. Now, not a freak, though. Like, he's not Michael Parsons. He's nothing like that. But he moves well. He can diagnose things. He's smart enough. He's smart enough that he can even play for a team like, say, the Patriots, which I guess is about the biggest compliment you can give a linebacker is that you can play in the Patriots system. Uh once again, a guy who can get swallowed up at times, you know, in the run game, he can get pushed around, he can get bullied, uh, which is what we're saying about a lot of these guys, right? I mean, some of these guys are, are basically, just, once again, you know, just 12 pounds bigger than the average safety, some of them. So those are things that worry me, but his instincts, his movement skills, you know, he's and his leadership, he's a guy who can lead your defense. He's going to be a solid pro, not a superstar, but a very solid pro, once again, I think for a decade or more. And another uh, freakish athletic prospect that is still yet to put it all together but has enormous promise is Baron Browning of Ohio State. Do you buy or sell Baron Browning? Whew, that's a tougher one. Um, I guess it depends upon the how, how much 
it cost. Uh, if I can get him late day two or into day three, then yes. But I see people pushing him up. I don't like him early. Uh, he's a, once again, I, I, I know it's going to sound like I'm saying some of the things, but he really struggles when people touch him. He doesn't like getting touched. Uh, he's, he's not weak. Once again, he's a powerful enough guy, but he, he just has a smaller frame. So as a tackler, he's a powerful tackler. Like, a, like he can explode through people in terms of that. But he's just because, you know, physics are real. When a guy who outweighs him by 100 pounds or close to it gets his hands on him, he really can get tossed around. I, I like him in, like, the Jets. Well, actually, I guess the Jets may be a slightly different deal. under Robert Sala. We'll see. But there's people who don't care that much about their linebackers ever having to take on blockers. We'll love him, right? Um, if you can avoid, once again, do you have big guys up front, cloggers up front who will keep him free, keep him clean? If so, yes. I, I know I'm kind of, this is a tough one. I'm going to say sell, but he could be successful in the right situation. Uh, yes, uh, we have you buying him on late day two or three, but not early. That is as fair as you could put it. And moving on to a former quarterback who uh, is also rising up dr some draft boards at the moment, Chaz Surratt of North Carolina. Do you buy or sell Chaz Surratt? I'm buying him because he's it's like it's like buying a what they call a growth stock, right? Yeah. Um, it's going to be a rough ride at first, though, uh, partially because he hasn't been playing the position that long. And he definitely doesn't always see things as quickly as you'd like. But I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass because, as you pointed out, until, you know, two years ago, he was a quarterback. So don't, if you – when you're watching him in the – wherever team gets him, the fans are going to be watching him in preseason going, this guy? We drafted this guy? <laughs> you know, you're going to be a little bit upset. Now, by about week 10 or 11, you'll be like, oh, okay – but be prepared to be upset early on. He's going to really not be able to trust himself. That's the thing. It's the hardest thing about playing a position like that is when you don't quite trust what you're seeing. Because even if you're a really good athlete, you play slow. And so he's going to give up some big plays early on. So just ride it out. Whoever gets it, please, just try to be patient. You'll be so upset early on. But I'm telling you, in that last half of the season, last four or five weeks of the season, you'll be like, oh, okay, okay. This wasn't a wasted draft pick. So I'm going to give him a buy, but a, a buy with – it's like more like a hold, if we're thinking like a stock thought. Um, but it's like a – it's a buy, but buy for the future because that early part of the season is going to be rough. That's a very good way to put that investment. And moving on to Cameron McGrone of Michigan. And this is a guy that I haven't seen his name on a lot of top 50 lists until I saw my man Jordan Reed's list, Jordan Reed at the Draft Network. And uh, Jordan uh, – has this guy ranked 46th on his top 50 list? Uh, do you buy or sell Cameron McGrone? I don't buy him that high. Uh, he's not in my top 50. Um, he, he's not quite. He just missed my top 100. He's like 111, I think. But I believe he'll be. I think he will eventually be an NFL starter. Uh, so if you're trying to sell him to me at 46, no, that's a that's a, that's, a, that's not a buy. That's a sell. If I can get him where I have him, if I can get him in the you know middle of the fourth or top of the even top even the top of the fourth, now I'm interested. Here's the things. Once again, he's the opposite of some of the guys we've talked about. He can hold up. He's a tough guy. He's got a thick lower body. Uh, he likes violence. I mean, you know what I mean? Like I know it sounds funny. We're talking about football players, but some of these guys, some of these linebackers we're talking about, really aren't that violent. Like they're really good football players, but they're just not. You know, they're not here for. 
super violence. Like they're not here for the ultra violence. Like they don't they don't they, they don't mind tackling wide receivers and things like that. But if you tell them, hey, go in there and you know stick your face in the chest of this guard and you know stop him on this pull, eh, some of them aren't down for that. That's the thing about uh, LeBron is he is is he LeBron is a guy who will go ahead and stick his face in the fan as they say. He'll go ahead and run into the brick wall. So that's something that um, is I do like about him, but I just don't think he has a, he has enough special qualities in my book to be a top fifty prospect. And uh, on to a guy who uh, was receiving uh, first round buzz in the uh, twenty twenty NFL draft in the uh, fall of twenty nineteen. That is Alabama linebacker Dylan Moses, and that was before he tore his ACL, had to miss the entire 2019 season, and decided to return to Alabama for another season, but uh, he didn't look uh, fully recovered from that ACL tear at all, and he could see his stock plummet as a result. But that said, Tony Pauline of the Draft Network, another respected analyst, is still very bullish on him long-term in terms of an NFL career and has a late uh, round one grade on him. Uh, So do you buy or sell Dylan Moses? I'm not touching him late round one. And I'm not touching him late round two, to be perfectly honest. I start to get a little bit interested, like in the compensatory picks of three. Here's the thing: we we now think of the ACL as a, a not terribly serious injury, but not all ACLs are are you know are equal. I mean, right. some guys tear an ACL, right? I mean, Adrian Peterson, you know, when he tears an ACL, he comes back looking like it was just like he enjoyed a nice vacation. But not everybody's like I said. Some ACLs aren't clean tears. Sometimes there's Little, there's things that are loose in there. Sometimes there's nerve damage. Here's what I'll say. I thought people were a little too high on him always. He was one of those guys that was this, you know, supposed can't miss future superstar even in high school, was a tremendous running back. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I liked his running back tape better than his, than his linebacker tape. So the reverse of James Wilder uh, Jr., who where I liked his linebacker tape way more than his running back tape. But he... A lot of the things that made him a special running back make him an interesting linebacker, but he never became, even when healthy, he never became a great linebacker. He was a good one. And, you know, we thought the arrow was pointed up, right? We thought he was going to become great, but that never got a chance to happen. We never got to see him become that, you know, heat-seeking missile, that leader of your defense, that catalyst for everything, that guy who blew up games took over games that wasn't something we ever got a chance to see so you're buying i mean once again it's sort of like you're buying almost blindly like believing that he'll get healthier and believing that he'll become more productive because the guy we saw last wasn't super healthy i hope uh i hope that he's that that's what that was and he wasn't super productive so I'm not no. I mean, late first, even late second, I'm 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 out. I'm not a I'm not a buyer. Uh, Baron Browning isn't the only Ohio State linebacker in this draft. Uh, his teammate Pete Warner. Do you buy or sell Pete Warner? I'm buying Pete Warner now. Once again, you know, with the proviso that I don't see him as a first rounder, but if I'm getting him in the second on after that, yes, I'm very much interested. And it's funny, some of the things that people were saying about a guy like Dylan Moses have actually been true of Pete Warner. He did become the leader of the defense, the catalyst, the star that straw that stirs the drink, or whatever term you want to use. And while he's not Luke Keekley, because you know those guys come along every twenty or so years, he's sort of like a you know working class man, like a guy you know like if you're 
you know, if you're like a, a shift supervisor at Home Depot level <laughs> version of a guy like uh, like Keekley, in that if you squint real hard, you can kind of see some of it. But he just, once again, it's just everything that Keekley did, he does about 72% as well, right? He's not quite, not quite to that level, but he does have the ability to be a run and chase guy, right? Because he's good enough athlete to do that. He can take on blocks. He's not amazing at it, but he can do it. And he's, once again, you know, he's not a freak in coverage. He's not looking like a big corner in coverage, but can he cover? Yes. He's decent against running backs as long as they're not super dynamic. I, I don't want to see him cover wide receivers, but can he hold up against running backs, some running backs, and tight ends? Yeah, sure. As long as you don't ask him to do it too much or too long. But he can be in the, you know, the hook curl zone area. Uh, I think he's going to be, like I said, solid, you know, eight to ten year kind of guy. And last but not least, you buy or sell TCU's Garrett Wallow. I am super high on Garrett Wallow. Actually, I've made, I've, if I'm not the president, I'm at least like the sergeant at arms of the Garrett <laughs> Wallow fan club. I think people are, are too low on him in general. And while I don't think he's a first rounder, he is in, he just missed my top 50, but he is well in the you know upper echelons of my top 100. He just missed the top 50. I think that and once again, systems everything. But I think if he's dropped into the right system, we're talking about guys, an immediate starter and a guy that's going to make three or four Pro Bowls. He's instinctive. He's, what's well, he's not a freak athlete, but I think he's a good enough athlete, even in this version of the NFL, to hold up in almost all situations, other than like, I don't want him, you know, covering slot receivers, things like that. But other than that, if you can avoid that kind of situation, I think he can play a lot of different positions. I don't love him as a Sam, but I could see him playing Mike or Will. I could see him being able to play inside in 3-4, play outside in a 4-3. I think there's a lot of things he can do. So, yes, I'm a big fan. Sign me up. Uh, I'm, I'm a big buyer. Uh, I'm on the Garrett Wallow train right now, officially. And he is Bill Carroll, ladies and gentlemen, of Nuts and Bolts Sports. Follow him on Twitter at 11Bravo138. And, Bill, thank you so much once again for donating your outside-the-box thinking about the NFL draft to our program yet again. But before we let you go, uh, let's uh, revisit some of these prospects that we talked about and figure out what their best team fits are in the NFL, starting with Micah Parsons. Well... I mentioned the the Cowboys earlier. Uh, they have linebackers who are some of them are getting long in the tooth or brittle. Uh, their their linebackers fall into two categories: either old or injured. So at uh, some are a little bit of both. I could see them going linebacker early, though. Obviously, the pressure is on for them to try to fix that secondary and that pass rush. But I mean, let's be honest: every part of their defense could use help. David, I mean, there's no, you know what I mean? Like, there's no part of the Cowboys team that you can point and say, "Oh, they're fine there." No. Everything's bad. So I could definitely see him being a good fit there. Um, I could see him, I mean, staying with even the NFC East. Um, I mean, not that Washington needs to, con- to further build that monster of a defense, but oh my Lord, if he went there, <laughs> oh my, that would be, oh, I mean, they would be right on that tipping point of becoming an elite level, like a top three, top four defense. They dropped him there. Oh, (laughs) terrifying. Um, There's another really, really good fit for him. Well, once again, I I, I tried to send uh, JLK, uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Kormo. If somehow he slides 
into the early part of the second half of the first, there's no way he'd make it past Miami. I don't think he. I don't think he. I think he's gone before that. But if somehow he's still there, oh yeah, Brian Flores is going to hurdle people to to get over <laughs> to draft him. So those are places I could see him going and being a stud. And uh, what about David Collins? Well, I mean, I'm kind of cheating, but the answer is everywhere. Uh, because he can do so many different things so well, he can play in just about any system imaginable. But where he, I think he would be amazing, the Vikings. Uh, in Zimmer, you have a guy who is terrific at figuring out what guys do well, first of all, on defense. And he's willing to mold guys. I mean, look at what he did with guys like, um, you know, I mean, Daniil Hunter is a great example. Uh, and even and Anthony Barr is a pretty darn good example. These are both guys who were not as developed as Zayvon Collins. There's less work going into getting Zayvon Collins ready to be a, a, a really productive, terrific pro. So I think he could go literally anywhere. But if he goes to the Vikings, he has a shot to be defensive rookie of the year. Uh, best team fit for Jamin Davis. Huh. That's an interesting question. Okay. Uh, okay. Here we go. Arizona. Um I could see him being successful there because of what they do and how they do it and the things they value in that defense. Um, and much as I hate to say it, even Tampa Bay, God, like they need more talent. Uh, but, but once again, look at what they value in, in the position. I could see him also thriving in their system. Uh, yes, and he would learn a lot in year one from uh, Levante David and Devin oh, White, the best uh, Todd, linebacker yes. duo oh, in the Todd NFL. Bowles, who's a, oh, a, a, oh totally. Todd Bowles should have been the MVP of Super Bowl 55. <laughs> Great minds, think alike. Yes, David, 100%. <laughs> yeah. All right, and uh, moving right along, best team fit for Jabril Cox. Uh, okay, there's a couple that, that leap to mind. Um, one, I would really like him in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think Mike Tomlin would like him. I think he would like Mike Tomlin. I think he would grow. I think they really know how to coach him up there. And they have been searching for a middle linebacker, you know, since Ryan Shazier. Uh, they haven't really managed to fix They sort of fixed it. I mean, they have, they have Devin Bush. But I really see Devin Bush as a will. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see. But if he goes there, they'll find a way to use him, and he'll be used well if he, if he ends up in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. He and Devin Bush, that would be one speedy linebacker group. Now you can cover people. Now you, now those all those crossing patterns that people have been making money on won't make so much money. Uh, yes, and uh, Mike Town would definitely like that. And uh, best team fits for Nick Bolton. You mentioned the Patriots as a potential fit. Any other teams come to mind? Yeah, the Patriots, obviously, uh, you know, and all the sort of Patriot-influenced defenses. Uh, I earlier mentioned the Dolphins. I could even see him being doing well with Tennessee. If he went to Tennessee, once again, uh, Vrabel is a terrific defensive mind. He knows how to get the best out of guys on defense. And they like guys who can run and chase. And that's really the best part of his game. He sees things quickly. He gets there. And like I say, he's not a you know elite-level athlete, but he's a good athlete. And when you combine that with being really smart, he means you means you're going to be in position to make plays. Yeah, said the best team fits for Pete Werner. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I think he'd be successful with the Giants. I could see him doing well. Hey, Green Bay even. Uh, that's a that's a defense that could use an injection. Though they're a decent defense, but they could use an injection of some of the things you bring to the table: leadership, 
Uh, I think he has a, a above average level of physical talent, and he just sort of fits their culture. He feels like a Packer. I could I could see that being a really good fit for him. Uh, yeah, when you mentioned uh, the Giants, I immediately thought of Joe Judge, and you described yeah. Pete Winters as a blue-collar guy. Oh, this is definitely a Joe Judge-type player. Yes, he's definitely a Joe Judge-type player, too. Yeah. Those are the two things that leap to mind when I think of him, yes. Yes, and uh, the best team fit for Chaz Surratt. That's an interesting one because he's going to need some patience. You know, he, he if he goes to a place where they, they're thinking he's going to step out day one and be a superstar, it's not going to go well. Uh, but amongst the people I think really understand bringing guys along and are more patient and, and development-minded. Well, I just mentioned the, the Green Bay, but I think you do very well with the Chargers. I, I think they do a really good job of taking guys who still need polishing and putting that last you know coat of shine on them. They've done a really good job, in fact, with that in the past. I could see him going there and doing well. I could see him... I mean, the Texans use everything, obviously. In other words, <laughs> but other teams that also, like, you look everywhere, it's like, well... I mean, I guess if Deshaun comes back, they at least have a quarterback, but everything else they could use. But I could see him doing well there, too. Uh, they could use an injection of talent in that linebacker room, and I think he would, because, you know, former quarterback, I think that that leadership ability would, after a while, and they're not going anywhere for a while. I'm sorry, Houston. It's going to be a while, so you don't have to have guys who are ready to be stars right away because it's going to be a couple years before you guys are ready to contend anyway. Uh, yeah, I like the Chargers for Chaz Surratt, too, because uh, Brandon Staley is from the uh, Vic Fangio tree, and that yep. Fangio defense has been known for its linebackers in the past. And uh, Brandon Staley uh, obviously learned a lot from Vic Fangio, and uh, I assume he learned how to groom linebackers, too. So that would indeed be a great leg spot for Chaz Surratt. And last but not least, uh, uh, you're not the only one in the Garrett Wallow fan club that has turned me on to him, but now I'm officially a member. What are the best possible team fits for Garrett Wallow? Yes. Uh, so I will, I will mention a couple that come to mind. Uh, he would do well in Seattle's defense. That's a defense that emphasizes one, knowing your, knowing your actual job, like knowing what you're supposed to be doing. They, there's not a lot of freelancing, right? There's some defenses where, you know, sometimes a guy can sort of go off and do something. I mean, back in, in going back to the old days in Pittsburgh, Dick LeBeau empowered, you know, uh, Troy Palomalo to pretty much do whatever he wanted. But that's not what they do there. Uh, they're very sound in terms of here's what we do and here's how we do it and we do it this way. I think he would do well there. But I think he could also do well – I mean, obviously, you know, I think the Vikings would do a really good job of, of getting the most out of him. And I'll mention one other team. I'll stick sort of in that same area. I think the Lions, who are another team that could use, frankly, everything – but I think he would also do well there, and they really don't have a – how do I put this? They don't have that guy, right? <laughs> uh, there's no one on their defense, as you pointed to say, there's that guy, that guy. That's the guy that runs the show. They, he could become that guy. Uh, you know, we saw that they, they thought they were – you know, the Jared Davis experiment didn't quite work out for them. Like that, they've tried some things. I think he has the character. First of all, he's a super high character player. I think he is a guy that wouldn't be broken down by sort of the culture that has been one, frankly, of not really winning a lot. Uh, he fought through some tough times at, in his college career at TCU. I think he would show that same sort of mental resilience and toughness and be successful there too. 
Thank you very much once again, Bill Carroll, for joining us here today. And that's it for now here on Sports Cross, but we'll be back soon with more draft coverage as April 29th draws closer and closer, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And a friendly reminder, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Bill. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 And once again, you can follow Bill on Twitter at 11bravo138. For Bill Carroll, this is David Cromwell saying so long. And as usual, wear a mask over your nose, wash your hands, social distance, stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane. And as soon as it's your turn, please get vaccinated, folks. That's the only way we get to have full football stadiums this fall. Thank you very much, everybody. Take care. Take care.